Welcome everybody today to Live from My Drum Room. This is episode 108, and uh, I'm very, very excited to welcome my guest today. And that guest is the great Taku Hirano, coming to you live from New Orleans. Hey, how are you? Hey, man, great. It's, it's great to see you. So good seeing you too. It's been a while. I think I, uh, it's been a few years, right? <laughs> it's been a few years. Yeah, I was thinking... I put that picture of us from the NAMM show and I think that was maybe four or five years ago. So yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You look great. You look, you look, you Thank still you. look like the, the young, the young man that I met so many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. You look great as well. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. And, and, uh, and thanks for making time to do this. Uh, just for everybody watching at home, um, Taku has been on the road with Leanne Rhymes and, um, and you've just made me aware of the fact that unfortunately you've had to cancel a few dates. Yeah. Um, yeah. She caught the flu, I guess about 10 days ago and, um, she's on vocal rest right now. So, so we've yeah. unfortunately had to cancel a, a handful of shows. Um, but you know, it's for the best of course. And, and so we've, we're all just kind of waiting and praying and making sure that she's okay, but, uh, she's in great spirits. So Great. So, you know, yeah, we'll be back out there, hopefully, uh, for the remainder of this holiday tour that leads up until Christmas. So fantastic. And yeah. how long, how long have you been doing this, this gig? How long have you been playing with Leanne? Not very long. Well, I started with her at the top of May this year and we went out pretty much for five months. We were out May through September and then we've been on a break, uh, in October, November, and we were starting back up for the month of December. So uh, I've worked with her in the past. Oh man, I worked first worked with Leanne back in 2002, so 20 years ago, and um, yeah, and then uh, had not worked with her. Kind of reunited with with Leanne a few years ago at the Music Hairs. Uh, this happened in LA during Grammys. I oftentimes am playing in the house band from the Music Hairs concert. Uh, which is like a big tribute concert every year for some major artist. That year, it was a tribute to Aerosmith, and Leanne was one of the featured artists. And so I was in the house band. I saw her again. And then at that point, they called me, they being her manager slash producer, called me to record on two of her albums that she was recording. And then uh, lockdown happened, and we were recording remotely. So I, I played on her last two albums, and we're working on another album right now, currently. So That's great. All that to say so then then it was kind of a natural progression since i was in contact with them and i played a bunch of percussion on some of the newer stuff that she uh ended up giving me a call when she wanted to go uh more of a um unplugged or plugged unplugged small group route with no drummer and it, it was just a band with a percussion bass and guitar so i've been out with her doing that configuration as a trio behind her yeah. uh, since may yeah that's cool. And you were telling me a little bit about, you know, the whole situation offline and, and how mm -hmm. it's sort of evolved from, if I, if I, if, if I can describe it right and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of started off as really more of, of a kind of traditional percussive percussion role. And it's sort of expanded to somewhat more of a hybrid situation. Yeah. I mean, I, at the end of the day, I'm recreating drum parts, but originally it was going to be more on Cajon some of the newer songs I played decidedly world percussion instruments on like congas and, and djembe. She wanted those specific sounds on some of her newer songs that she was trying to perform live. 
uh, and introduce to her audience. Um, and then there's some just very kind of traditional country tunes that are straight, you know, brushes on snare train mm -hmm. grooves. Uh, so I had a snare drum. Um, I immediately felt like there was no bottom to anything unless I was playing the cajon. So I added um, just a electronic kick pedal that's plugged into a, a Roland Octopad. So I like it. I have an, like an Octopad to my left. That's essentially a brain. And then I just have like two pedals each with a, a kick drum sound where if I'm facing to my left playing snare that uh, and train grooves that I have a kick kick pedal over this way, or if I'm I'm sitting on a cajon the entire time, or if I'm facing this way and I'm playing conga grooves that I have a kick kick pedal on this way to do like four on the floor while I'm playing on top of it. And then facing front and center, I'm playing cajon grooves, um, which kind of encompasses the lows and the highs. So, yeah. so it's definitely a hybrid kit. Uh, so, but it, it looks like we're going to start adding like an actual kick drum to my, my setup of the, uh, it was kind of a fluke we were just in rehearsals for the holiday tour and my electronics weren't there. So the, where we were rehearsing, there's an actual drum kit. So I, we popped in a, a kick drum and th that was it. They're like, Oh yeah, get rid of the electronics. We want, we want a real <laughs> kick drum. So I'm like, okay, it's like little by little and it's turning into me playing drum kit. So. Oh, that's funny. And do you, I mean, did you start off playing drum kit? Is that kind of how I it, yeah. I did. Yeah. I, I was nine years old grade and I started, uh, with orchestral, like concert percussion. So my very, very first instruments were marimba, concert snare, timpani and drum kit separately, like all with one, with one private teacher. And so all studying all those instruments. So yeah, I started playing drum set at nine years old. I had a drum kit from right around then, from right when I was, when I was 10. Uh, and then I went to Berkeley College of Music for my undergrad and I got accepted uh, as a drum set player because they didn't at okay. that time have hand percussion as a principal instrument. So I can only get accepted for drum set, concert percussion, which I was so burnt out playing <laughs> uh, classical percussion. And I was like trying to like get to Juilliard and I was like doing like insane amounts of, of hours of um practicing on concert percussion i was so burnt out on that so um or a jazz vibraphone which i knew nothing about so i got in on i got into berkeley college of music on drum set so you did okay and i knew yeah. you went to berkeley and and i want to talk about that in a second sure <clears throat> and that's interesting i didn't i and i should have known that because i was intimately involved with berkeley in those days and uh -huh. that they didn't have a a uh, world percussion um you know, graduate program there at that time Yeah, that, that you would have come in as a drum set player. But I, but it's funny. I, I just, it seems to me that not long after you graduated from Berkeley, you were on the scene as a percussionist. Like you were like everywhere. Really I quickly. Before I got to Berkeley, my last two years of high school, 11th and 12th grade, I was going to a school of the arts in California that had a salsa band, a Latin jazz combo, as well as a salsa kind of big band with horns. That's where I first started learning Afro-Cuban percussion congas bongos timbales so that was like around age 16 and 17 then i went to mm -hmm. berkeley for drum set but within my freshman year that's when giovanni hidalgo started teaching at berkeley so i diverted like every single possible credit free credit of electives <laughs> to studying with giovanni because he was a legend yeah. and i was so fortunate that i the four years that giovanni taught at berkeley were the four years i was there in college wow. yeah. so i got like four solid years with giovanni and then halfway through 
Berkeley. So after two years at Berkeley, um, during my junior year, Berkeley ended up creating a curriculum and a principal instrument major for hand percussion. So then I switched everything over from drum set to hand percussion. And uh, actually I ended up getting more scholarship money because I was doing so much around town and in school as a percussionist. So um, I actually ended up being the first hand percussion major to graduate from Berkeley ever. No <laughs> so with, with a, with a, there's like two of us. Yeah. But I got my, yeah, I got my bachelor's degree as a hand percussion major. And so I did the program in two years, uh, which is primarily why I was the first, because they're still kind of building the curriculum. And so um, it technically took me five years to finish college because I did two summers in a row. So I just blasted through and made up for all whatever credits that like, you know, needed to be taken with this new principal instrument. So, um, so yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, make, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> and and you were there at a, at a, I mean, I remember a lot of your classmates I, and I believe you were there during like when Johnny Rab was there and, yeah. uh, and Nate Morton. Yeah. Um, was Nate Morton. Nate and I came in together in 91. We were freshmen together. We actually did the five week program as high school students. I've known, I've known Nate since my junior year of high school, I think. No and, kidding. um, little John Roberts came yeah, in that yeah. same freshman year. John Johnny Rab, yeah, John, John Blackwell came in a year after me. Okay. Yep. Uh, and same year as Antonio Sanchez came in a year after me. Yeah. Um, Johnny Rab, you said. Johnny Rab was already there, uh, maybe one or two years before me. So he was already there. We became friends. Uh, Abe Laborio Jr. was just finishing up. Uh, so he was kind of, a, I think he had already technically graduated, but he was still just finishing up a few credits. So I got to play with him. Yeah, it was it was like an amazing time as far as drummers at, at Berkeley. It really was. And, you know, yeah. it reminds me of like, there was another time, maybe 10, well, no, m more like 20 years before when like Steve Smith and Vinnie Caliuta and John Robinson and Casey Shirell and yep. Kenwood Denard, all those guys were at Berkeley. And it was like, you you know, they were like, actually like a generation before you guys. And yeah. they went off and then here all you guys were there. And, and, yeah. and our friend Jules Thomas, who of is course. A, a force in the industry, was there. At, I, I met Jules probably in the early 90s when she had just got We graduated together. I think I, we graduated at the same time. We're the same. We were there yeah. the exact same span. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a great class. And, yeah. uh, and congratulations. I'll just say, I mean, you know, you've, you've had just a, you're, you're still a young man to quote Tower of Power. <laughs> I don't know about I mean, that, but. <laughs> no, but I mean, an amazing career. I was just looking, you know, I was aware of a number of the gigs that you've had. And then I just, I was looking at your page and I'm going, man, I, I you know, who haven't you played with? And, and, uh, and, you know, I, I said to you earlier, what, what always comes to mind to me is, is before I even knew you, you hadn't come over to Zildjian yet, but you were playing with Fleetwood Mac and, I think that's when I, you got my attention for sure. I went like, yes. wow, yeah, yeah, who, yeah. Who's this guy, man? He's, <laughs> yeah. What also helps that like I'm on tour with Mick Fleetwood, an absolute icon who's, who's a longtime Zildjian artist. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, it definitely, you definitely grabbed my attention and, and a lot of people's and, and I, I'd, I'd love to just talk a little bit about what it was like to play with Mick because he's, he's sure. so percussive as a drummer. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sure they were like, 
I don't know if, if, if he just gave you sort of free reign to do what you wanted to do. I'm, I'm guessing you had a lot of like free reign to just. I, I had free reign. He would let me know on certain songs. Oh, by the way, this is what I did in the studio, you know, uh, not telling you what to do, but this is what I did. And just like some random stuff, like, yeah. Um, there's a Fleetwood Mac song, Secondhand News. Yeah, exactly. And he was yeah. like, oh, yeah, when we were in the studio, I found a cardboard box in the corner and I just put it under the mic and I just did basically a train groove, you know, 60th notes with sticks. And he's like, maybe you could think about recreating that. So I was like, it's not going to be even heard in an arena. <laughs> but he was like, you know, just play like really quiet and just like maybe hit a cajon, like really quietly 60th notes. So I was kind of like, <laughs> okay, so... You know, so oh. I seriously doubt anything I played on secondhand news on the very first tour I did with him um, was heard because he wanted me to play like pat little 60th note train grooves on, on, a, <laughs> on a cajon where this like the whole band is blaring. I was just like, but it was for him. He it was like kind of the uh, what I call the psychoacoustics psychology. Like he he turns around and sees me doing that. And he like nods his head. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I did in the studio. So it's like yeah, so there's yeah. some of that. And then there's some of um historically the drum tech whoever was the drum tech for for mick fleetwood on whatever tours oftentimes would play additional not drum parts mainly like tom tom parts mm -hmm. and for this last tour that i did with them 2018 2019 that role or that responsibility came to me so that totally changed what i did on certain songs in the past uh why tom tom parts because mick fleetwood would when he would record songs he would overdub the tom parts so like if there if you sometimes hear i don't know trying to think what grooves um i don't know uh, if you oh, listen like, to um, the drum grooves on on rumors and stuff you'll hear yeah. like overlapping just tom hits and stuff um if you um, really listen to it he's my kicks there fun yeah you make, make all those are overdubbed so he never played them in conjunction with playing time ever they're all like on top of each other layered yeah they're layered so he yeah he never played this stuff live you know so like on you make love and fun i'll play all the tom the, the descending tom line Mm -hmm. on rumors also i'm not rumors on dreams i would do like some of the tom hits because he had overdubbed extra toms um and stuff like that so yeah, yeah so it's yeah. fun it's fun creating grooves and being an extension of him so it's an honor really and you know and i i remember honestly taco i remember seeing you do those things and and thinking it's it's really cool that you're that there's like this attention to detail because i i as a drummer, you know, there's so many great things that you hear on a recording that sometimes, like you say, if it's overdubbed and there's no percussionist, then you're not going to hear that, you know, whether it's like you say, a, um, an overdubbed tom-tom part or yeah. like Secondhand News has all those really cool little, um, I think, are there timbales too that, that or like, or maybe it's just tom-toms that. Um, yeah, I think they're either toms. Yeah. 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 I don't can't remember what I did on secondhand news now, but yeah, yeah. And lots <laughs> but, of lots of like, you know, Swiss or Chinese symbol accents to those. Yep. Yeah. Like a really, Swiss knocker. Yeah. Yeah. And then so I often get asked like by percussionists or by, you know, whomever, like, how do you know what to play? And I'm 
I'm like, if you really do your homework and listen, like there is some part that you have to cover that most more often than not, you know, regardless of the genre, whether like, like on an R&B thing that I'm like covering samples of finger snaps or hand claps or record scratches, even that I've had to do in the past or with Fleetwood Mac, like, no, I'm playing, I'm playing the extra Tom parts or like on a Christine McVie tune where she comes out from the keyboards and goes up to the front. She's often playing uh, maracas, like just bun. She has, always has like a bundle of like three maracas that she always mm. would play. But I would actually on those songs, I would double her on the maracas because they would be too loud in her vocal mic. So then the front of house sound engineer would ask her to play it, do it as a visual because she's always done it since the 60s or 70s. But like, it's totally bleeding into her mic. So I was like, okay, so I'm playing fully in in, in essence. So it's like the audience is seeing her doing this, but I'm actually playing the maracas like right yeah. into a mic where she he can tweak the levels and, and guide it in. So there's that as well. So all that to say, yes, there's always something to cover, you know, the, yeah. the a lot of, so yeah, that it's makes fun. Perfect, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I never even thought about that too, that, yeah. that yeah. you know, the, the fact that it would bleed into her vocal mic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, speaking of Christine, I, um, you know, when I heard the news about her, I, I told you this yeah. the other day, I, I, you, I thought of Mick first and then I thought of you second. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, I just had to reach out to you. I just felt so sad. I, I never had the pleasure or the honor of meeting Christine, but I, you know, she's one of those people that I kind of feel like I knew because I, I loved, I loved the band so much and I loved her work in particular so much. Yeah. I mean, she, powerhouse songwriter i mean technically i feel i I, she actually her songs are the ones of the band that sold the most and had the biggest hits you know yeah and it's because she had just this innate ability of just like crafting the song that got to you know the core and the heart uh, of of the listener i mean she wrote timeless tunes timeless melodies lyrics you know so and as a person she's just so lovely she just um i i I have a feeling like any anything that you would think of her or seen her of her in 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 interviews and whatnot is exactly that that she was just like you know witty um and fun but very lovely you know she was she was just very nice very nice lady so yeah that's yeah, that's that was definitely cool yeah that's great what a, what a what a honor you had to you know yeah. to be there and and I I'd, I'd always heard that about her you know that um I I hinted around to Mick once at a rehearsal, you know, how, how big a fan I was of hers. And I thought maybe he'd go, well, let me bring you over to meet her. <laughs> but he, he didn't, you know, I'm sure he was like, yeah, I'm not gonna, this guy, I don't know him well enough. He could be a stalker. <laughs> oh, 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 no, no. I don't Honestly, it was, Nick was probably just like either focused on you or doing, or had 10 million other things in his head. Cause, yeah. cause if you said, oh, I'd love to meet her be like, oh, you would. Okay. You know, like he would be that kind of guy. So yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, Christine's lovely. You know, I can't say I interacted with her a ton. We were clear on diagonally opposite sides of the stage. And, um, you know, so during the show, but just like backstage, she'd be in catering, having dinner, you know, yeah. and I, you know, we'd be at the same table and yeah, just lovely, lovely yeah. conversation. Yeah. yeah. That's great, man. And, uh, and, and you, you know, I'll say it again, you, you are such a big um, contributor to the, you know, to to a legacy band, you know, it's a, to be uh, able to come you. in. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and really make your presence felt the way you, you have, you know, with those guys and thank you. Um, yeah. And, and so 
are you are you feeling like um you know like in this situation with leanne for example playing you know more about are you comfortable you know kind of assuming the role of almost being a drummer like are, to, are you comfortable going back and forth like that it is drumming is not my comfort zone i have to admit um i don't i can't say i don't enjoy it but i really enjoy being a percussionist like and interacting with a drummer having grown up playing drums you know having a subscription to modern drummer magazine since i was a kid and like seeing all these drum heroes like now i get to play with them all like i get i say i had the best seat in the house because i get to play next to mick fleawood i played in sessions with jr robinson i've played you know at the white house with steve ferroni on drums uh you know it's just like it's it's insane like the the level of, of drummers that i get to play with obviously abel boreal jr kurt biscara um i don't know the list just goes on and on teddy campbell's a dear friend that i toured with yeah, My, yeah. michael baker i toured with with whitney houston oscar seaton i toured with, with lionel richie um you know so it's like awesome drummers so all that to say do can i play at that level no and I, and I know what it takes. So it is not necessarily in my comfort zone because I definitely feel like a, a serious bout of imposter syndrome, <laughs> <laughs> but I know what is needed and what my capabilities are to at least like cover that whenever I have to kind of play the drummer role, you know, whether that be with Leanne, I've had to do that with Lindsey Buckingham. I've had to do that with Josh Groban for a stretch. Um, when we did promo and there was no drummer you know um so and then of course after that after the promo then gary novak came in as the drummer <laughs> so and i'm playing alongside gary so you know all that to say like it, it yeah. it's a it's an absolute thrill but at the same time no that is definitely not my comfort zone like kind of driving the ship like i i, I enjoy doing what i do normally <laughs> as a percussionist no, I, I understand maybe yeah. you could talk for a minute just to, to jump back to fleetwood mac for a second yeah um what it was like working with with lindsey buckingham and and as a sort of percussionist hybrid oh, situation yeah with lindsey on his solo tour um it was interesting so during the fleetwood mac 0304 tour was when lindsey we had so many days off and i remember lindsey had booked a uh a solo performance on the tv show soundstage that was on pbs and so he came to me and just said um hey we've got this thing we're going to use um the sideman keyboardist with Fleetwood mac at the time brett tuggle who unfortunately passed away this past year as well yeah. and uh neil haywood the uh the the guitarist that tours with us with fleetwood mac who was kind of like Lindsay's right hand and so he's basically put together a three-piece band behind him and uh we uh yeah so he just i i made sure to let him know like i'm not a drummer like if you want i have the cajon and i you know he goes oh yeah yeah, yeah no problem and we're uh, we're only using gear that we have out on tour with us with Fleetwood mac because we're like literally in the middle of the tour but we have like a stretch of days off so we would do like little loose rehearsals in the weeks leading up to this tv taping for pbs and we made it happen but at that time yeah i was sitting on a cajon and then i used like my spare electronics like a, a rolling octopad and some pads and a kick pedal and real cymbals and real hi-hat and and 
did a facsimile of a little hybrid kit for him. And then that was during the Fleetwood tour. Then uh, a couple years after that, he went, did an album and we were, I got the call again to actually do the tour itself. And at that point in time, you know, I prefaced it again with like, I'm not really like a drummer drummer, but if you, you know, just so you know what you're getting. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the, the, the set list is going to be, you're going to be playing Cajon all night. I was like, okay, that's fine. And then little by little, it's like, hey, can you play something a little more like just meat and potatoes, kick snare hat or, you know, and then the the setups grew, the my rig grew into like essentially like a V drum kit with the Cajon as a th- drum throne. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and they just kept adding more and more instruments or more and more and more resp- drumming responsibilities on me. So, oh, that's funny. So, yeah, but it was funny. Why a V drum kit? Because it started out literally as me just covering a couple little extra kick and snare parts, and so, and we were out on the road with Fleetwood, and I didn't have that those instruments, so we just like made a facsimile of that to cover like two songs in a set list, and then it just kept growing from there. And then once Lindsay learned about V drums and like saying, you know, oh, I could have a different snare sound for every single song in the set list. And you can dial like the 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 virtual diameter and and whether I want a copper snare or a wood snare or this and that. And like blue is mine. And then he started like just going to town with like all the options. And so like we had a kit change, a completely different kit change for every song. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> this yeah. is hilarious. Just, just because you could. Yeah. Just because you could. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely Lindsay's like, if you give him the options, he's going to go to town and just like, he's so creative that he's yeah. just like, yeah. What a genius. Yeah. Man, I just, yeah. I'm a huge fan of his as well. And yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, but, but I got to say, you're, you're being humble too, Taku, because if you couldn't, if you couldn't cut it, you know, you, you wouldn't have got the call. So obviously you, you know, you were able to come in there and do the job as a, as a drummer. Basically, you came in thinking you were going to be playing percussion, and for all intents and purposes, you know, we're playing drums. So good for you. Thank you. Yeah, it. I mean, I do tell students it's like, uh, you know, growth does lie within outside of your comfort zone, right? So I have to yeah. kind of practice what I preach as well. So. That's great advice. That's really yeah. great advice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you graduated from Berkeley in the like mid nineties, right? Is that, does that sound yeah. about right? 95. Yeah. 95. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I, I remember when Antonio, you know, I, I, I became very close with Antonio when, when he was there and mm-hmm. um, brought him on to Zildjian around that time when he graduated. And um, so what would you, what was the first, what you'd consider to be sort of major gig after you graduated? After I graduated, I moved to LA and I let Lil John Roberts know he had already left Berkeley. We came in as freshmen together. He left after two years. He had moved to Atlanta. He'd done a few major gigs and then he landed the Janet Jackson gig. Right. He he came in for Jonathan Moffat on the tail end of the Janet tour and then he did the Velvet Rope tour. Bella Rope was 94. I'm, I graduated 95. I moved to LA 96. So I, I hit John up and was just kind of like, Hey, I know you don't live in LA, but just letting you know, I'm here now. And he hit me right back. Now, mind you, this is like pre email, pre social media. Uh, like, you know, I'm just calling from a landline. I didn't have yeah. a cell phone and yeah. I left him a message. He called me right back like the within like 24 hours. And he's like, I'm on my way to LA. I'm in rehearsals. Uh, with Tevin Campbell. Tevin Campbell was a 
you know, an R&B, young R&B singer who was being, who was um, produced by Quincy Jones. He was on Quincy's label. And so he's like, you know, the band is down at center staging, the major re uh, rehearsal spot in Burbank. So why don't you bring some gear down, bring some congas down, jam with the band. We're always there early. We normally just jamming for like two or three hours before uh, Tevin comes in. I was like, okay. I brought my stuff down, jammed with them. And then uh, Tevin came in. I played along with some of the songs they were working out. And then by the end of that day, I got offered the gig. So I got my first tour within two weeks of moving to LA. Thanks to little John. And then, um, yeah. So, and there was a lot of hanging out in LA just with all the people I met through Tevin's band and, and, and beyond. Uh, one of my best friends is Gordon Campbell. Yeah, I had met, yeah. I met him right before I moved to LA and, um, just hanging out with him, hitting the scene, meeting musicians who all, who were already all doing what I wanted to do, which was tour and play sessions. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Gordon's a fine, fine drummer, man. Oh yeah. 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 Great drummer. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, yeah. So, cause I, I remember, um, well, I, I, I probably keep coming back to Fleetwood Mac, but I, I remember that. And that was maybe the early two thousands. I think was when I, had first um or was it the late 90s even uh i joined fleetwood mac in 03 in 03 okay yeah 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 my first major giant world tour was in 99 so about three years after i got to la and that was that was the whitney houston world tour so that was like my first big big world tour okay uh, i'd never performed in europe before and we were there for over four months you know <laughs> maybe around yeah, maybe was michael baker playing drums at that yes. time? yes yeah okay. he was the musical director yep yeah right okay that's yeah maybe that's when i first became aware of your you know you out there yeah before. yeah 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 wow man yeah and, and you've you've just i mean it's just kept going and um i know you've you toured with john mayer and you know i actually technically didn't tour john mayer i did like all well i guess it was a tour but it was a promo tour it wasn't like a full-blown like year-long tour it was i did like all the promo after he had gone on hiatus like he had like vocal issues and had gone on vocal rest for a year and then he created an album in oh god what year was that 2010 2011 2012 something like that anyway so it was an album called born and raised and we we uh did all the promo and whatnot for that okay so yeah yeah, yeah. yep yeah. and that was sterling Campbell was the drummer and that was his first time ever really going on the road at that point in time. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was, yeah. it was that far back then. Yeah. 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 He was just mainly a session guy. So it was great. It was great playing with Sterling. It was awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, and you, and you, you've put your own music out, right? You have a record uh, or a couple yeah. of records out that you've. Yeah. Uh, as far as like a, uh, me as a front person solo thing, I put out an album, the years uh i put it out last oh yeah last year <laughs> it was a i'm signed to rope a dope and um yeah I, I was in in the works was a studio album i was putting together when i was living in new york and uh based on a bunch of gigs i had done around town i put a band together and um then pandemic hit couldn't go to the studio so then i had i was sitting on all this live all these multi-tracks of live recordings that I did in New York City. So 
I ended up making my quote unquote debut album, a live album, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you play, so you played other instruments on it? As well as... uh, because it was all live. No, I mean, oh, no. I basically live. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So I was up, I was kind of up around the middle and we we're doing like heavy, you know, seventies era fusion, kind of like miles electric band, Herbie, uh, headhunters vibe wow. stuff is kind of the, kind of the thing. So, and the drummer, uh, the drummer and the keyboards tonight were all at Berkeley together. And that those, that was like all the stuff we played with each other like in recitals and the impetus was like hey when we're all off the road and whatnot or you know not in the studio like we should just book some gigs and do some of those tunes you know and that's that's that was kind of the impetus of um their final me kind of taking the reins taking charge so they ended up being like my gigs you know yeah. uh, with, with me as the front person so but it was fun i mean that's that's definitely like i that's what i love the most i think is that era of like electric jazz fusion whatever you want to call it you know kind of funk stuff yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool yeah. and you know you're you're younger than me and that's kind of the era that i grew up in you know what i mean yeah. like that was all that so that's cool that you you appreciate that oh yeah yeah that that you know um that period in music that's was so influential you know most definitely and then also you know my my longtime mentor from high school on and until he passed away was in Dooku Chancellor. And so he really helped me just with my musicality and my my business sense and just everything all around. He was such a great supporter of mine. He let me stay with him when I first moved to LA. I lived in his like guest bedroom. Like yeah. So and I would take drum lessons with him uh, when I was in high school still. So all that to say, I mean Indugu was a template. I mean uh in a lot of ways I, I that's how i came to love fusion because i was always checking out everything he did from that era like whether he was playing with herbie or freddie hubbard or miles davis or george duke you know um all that stuff was when i checking out everything that my mentor played on web report um you know really made me appreciate it and then he also was kind of a template for me as well I, I i when i got to la i was like what indigo is in the drumming world having played at the top level with all the like major artists of every major commercial genre of music you know whether it was michael jackson frank sinatra kenny rogers uh Ierto, you know weather report miles davis yeah, yeah. Was, it's kind of like it, it spans santana it, it spans like literally every genre and i was like i want to be that as a percussionist i want to be kind of that or have be able to look back on my career and say oh i played with the cream of the crop artists in every major major genre so that's that was kind of like my mindset so that's great taku that yeah. explains a lot it really does that you had that you had Ndugu as a as a template as a mentor yes because um, he yeah. you know i i got to know him um probably like the last well I, I mean it's like we knew each other forever we, yeah. we never worked together in terms of companies but we would just always be at the same montreal drum fest or yeah. PASIC or nam hanging out and probably the last 10 or 15 years i'd be out with a bunch of yamaha guys or something and we'd be sitting next to each other and he was just the nicest man oh yeah uh, just and 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 for people that don't know this, when you mentioned all these different people, I mean, he played on Billie Jean. I mean, that is 
that is Ndugu Chancellor playing that unbelievable yeah. groove on Billie Jean by Michael Jackson that like yeah. you can't put that record on without going just like jumping up and down and dancing. It's so yeah. infectious. Yeah, no, and, definitely. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you've seen him, I, you know, I'd, I'm, I'd, I would see him at, at clinics and things where he'd, you know, he'd play to some, some tapes and he'd play to that song and he'd have that big smile on his face, you know, and just be sitting there and he'd have those symbols way up there. And he yeah. just like, just, and playing that fat, funky, you know, groove that just yeah. was, oh man. What, what tripped me out was when I was, awesome. when I first sat down at his drum set, just when I'm taking lessons with him, I could not believe how high the tension was on the spring on his kick oh, on drum his, pedal. On his pedal, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> like you could barely like get the beater to hit the head. And just the fact that he was able, like what he did with the kick drum and how much power he put into it, I was just like, I don't see how you're doing that because I can't play with this pedal like at all. Like I'd have like my shins would be like my right chin was just like on fire, like trying to play his drum set. So yeah, it was funny. <laughs> well, so, I mean, just to, just to talk about that for a second. So he must've been so proud of you. Um, cause he got to see you playing with all these bands, you know? And yeah. That, that must've been so like rewarding for you to, for him to see that. I think so. You know, yeah. we didn't, we didn't have any, like, I can't say we didn't have heart to heart discussions, but like, you know, he would just, he would, uh, some, some of the teaching or, or whatnot was kind of from afar. Like he would just kind of keep tabs on me. I, I would say, um, I can't say that I know of a whole lot of geeks. Like he would specifically recommend me for, or anything like that. It was just that like we, but he would all speak very highly of me and then I would get his endorsement like right at the right time, you know, but yeah, he yeah. wanted me to kind of forge my own path, you know, and do sure. my own thing. So, um, but yes, we, we did have one heartfelt like text message, not long before he passed away. I still have it saved on my phone, you know, and that's great. And so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, man, that, that was a, that, that hurt when we lost in Yeah, definitely. Um, I just, I want to read you a comment uh, from the great Mike Balter, uh -huh. who said, Taku and Ndugu, two of the nicest, most humble people in the business. Taku is the best, a great wow. human being. Wow. Wow. Got to agree with you, Mike. <laughs> Got to agree with you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I love Mike Balter. And I mean, I met Mike when I was a student at the U.S. percussion camp run by Johnny Lee Lane, which is where I first met Ndugu because Ndugu was an instructor there as well. Yeah, And Mike was a guest artist, guest of the camp, and he came through and I kept in touch with him. And then he became just such a huge supporter of mine. He would check in, just be like, what do you need? Like, I, you know, he, he signed me and just sent me like boxes of mallets, like that I still have to this day. Like, that's great. You know, and yeah, it, it was, by the time I got the Whitney gig, you know, I was already a, a Mike Balter Mallets artist for a couple of years. And so like he, yeah, he, he was really there kind of at the beginning for me. Yeah. He's what a he, great guy. He's, he's a great guy. He's, and, and Mike, you know, Taku speaks for both of us. You're definitely in the way up on the totem pole. Oh yeah. Sure. Yep. And a um, great player. Like if you see him like play, like, you know, some like, 
you know, ragtime stuff on a xylophone. It's like insane, like watching him play. <laughs> you know? I've heard him play snare drum too. I mean, he's oh, got, yeah. yeah, incredible hands. I mean, yeah. just, yeah, yeah, really great hands. I'm going to just read you a quick question from Dan Peterson. Okay. Um, he said, Taku, speaking of Miles, did you ever have any, any interaction with M-Tomb? M-Tomb. Oh, oh M-Tomb-A. No. No, no, no. I've never met M-Tomb-A, unfortunately. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan. And obviously, kind of like Ndugu, M-Tomb-A, you know, it was like came out of the jazz and jazz fusion and as a percussionist, as him being a percussionist, kind of the world and world fusion world uh, of music. And then being able to like also cross over and have like, you know, huge commercial success with hits like Juicy Fruit, and, you know, just like radio hits. Um, that's like amazing, you know, and Dugu, same thing where he came out, his first gig was Herbie, like during the the 70s Mwandishi era. And then and Ndugu like helped pen the Daz Band's Let It Whip, which was like a huge, you know, 70s funk hit. Um, I mean, that that's that's just quite an amazing feat and it, within a, within a career to really you know my goal was to just be able to perform with like people uh of various genres but to actually you know be be a, a an artist and a front person and a, and a writer you know that left a mark um across quite disparate genres that's that's quite an amazing thing so no i never got to got a chance to meet them to me unfortunately but definitely a fan that's great that's yeah. great you know just to, to i was going to just jump backwards for a second when we were talking about um you know different gigs that you've done and yeah i, I would just and i think people would be interested to know like how much your setup might vary from or, or maybe it doesn't at all. Maybe you're, you, you kind of use a, a sort of standard setup, but I was just curious to know like how it might vary from, I know with Leanne, it's, it's more of a hybrid situation, but is there yeah. kind of a, a template that you start with in terms of your setup? Yeah. As far as if I'm playing like a, my usual, like straight percussionist gig yes. yeah. where there's a drum set player, I do have a template um, of just kind of over the years, I know what works for me, which is I have my, uh, three congas in front of me, quinto, quinto, conga, tumba. So I'm facing forward with the congas. I also have a mounted tambourine kind of in the center so that if I'm playing conga grooves that I can actually play, um, hit the mounted tambourine on backbeats. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I always have my percussion table to my right because I'm right-handed. So I tend to pick up tambourines, shakers, all that kind of stuff with my right hand. So the table's to my right. And then to my left is kind of whatever is needed for the gig whether that's traditionally it's like timbales are over here but if there's no if i don't need timbales then maybe it's my electronics or like on the fleetwood mac gig it's like a whole row of concert toms that i had to cover for me fleetwood right. so that's kind of you know uh just differs josh groban i had timpani over here so that's that's fluid and then then definitely symbols overhead and i kind of have started going more into like larger diameter symbols because I don't want to be redundant with the symbols that the drummer is playing. So I'm definitely not crashing at the same time as a drummer or whatnot. So oftentimes like I have like larger symbols that are either effect symbols or larger ones just to swell into the drummer's crashes. So my, my symbol symbols tend to be like 22, 20, 19, 18 on both sides of me. 
Yeah. And then maybe one symbol that like um, I my go to as far as just like having one crash was either like a 16 a custom or uh, lately it's been like a 17 inch sweet crash um, just to get a quintessential like crash sound if I'm like doing Timbali fill or something um, that I could also swell on. So, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of my, that's kind of my basic setup. And then yeah. whatever else I kind of need goes in there. If I need electronics, if I need specific, you know, uh, world percussion instruments that just comes with a gig, I add them in there, fit them in where I can. And are those, do you, work out some of those things with the drummer or do you kind of watch you you know the music i'm guessing you know during rehearsals you're watching maybe where the drummer is going to hit the crash and then you that's how you base where you start the swell i mean or are those or some of those things actually worked out with the drummer where you uh sometimes they're worked out but a lot of times because i started out as a drummer like i kind of innately know like when the drummer is going to do a fill so i'll like back out or i'll support the fill or you know um on the last note of a song and the drummer's like double kick and snare uh, and cymbals you know i may be doing the same thing or or if towards the end when the drummer he or she'll go through a big tom fill then that then i'll really lay into the cymbals to cover the toms you know because then yeah. then, then, then then they're not on cymbals so i just like i'm constantly like watching the drummer all the time try to balance everything out Okay. And that was yeah. what I was going to say is it's, it's, it probably comes down to so much just visual, like just, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, there's probably a lot of stuff that's the same, but it probably changes a lot too. Right. I mean, it can yeah. just depend on what people are feeling and totally. You know, yeah. Totally. And it, some, some tours I've been on where like, for whatever reason, they'll have like the drummer and the percussion, like on completely opposite ends of the stage. It makes it really <laughs> tough, yeah. really tough. Yeah. But oftentimes like we're both kind of center or i'm like just behind the drummer or, or something like that where i can have an, a, a sight line yeah to what they're doing yeah and you've, you've really you've got great stage presence too i didn't want to forget to mention that <laughs> no you do you look great on stage you're you know you're very visual when you play and it's 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 so i mean it, it, you know I, i'll admit i mean when i first saw you play your playing was great but you're you're visual like it was just really uh it's a great combination because you're not oh thank you you're not like, you know, certainly not showing off, but you're not, you're not certainly not boring either. You know what I mean? It's you're fun to watch and you play great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. You know, as far as a stage presence thing, I didn't really, obviously like when I was like studying and at Berkeley, like I didn't think about any of that stuff. And I'll quite honestly, we may have even been like, ah, that's like cheesy. Like they're, you know, like, but once I got on the, Lionel Richie tour, then that was when I really kind of learned about stage presence from all the guys in the band and Lionel, definitely. Where like it was kind of trial by fire. Like he was like, oh, and this song, it was probably Brick House, I think. Like, <laughs> like Lionel's like, oh, Taku, you're going to come up front and you're just going to, you know, just play tambourine because the sax player is running up and down and you know, the guitarist and bassist was like, oh, we need one more person up front with 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 me, me being Lionel to flank me and, and interact with the audience. I'm like, there's like actual like bongo parts and like little things in the song of brick house. I'm like, I'm much more comfortable playing those and being behind this big wall of percussion. Like, no, 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 just come out with like a tambourine or something. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And that's when like, and we were out on tour for like we a while, like we did 50 shows with Tina Turner 
And then we did a summer tour in Europe. And so like those 60 plus 70 shows I did with Lionel were like, we were for, I was forced to come to the front of the stage with only a tambourine <laughs> and like hold my own with a bassist who was Don Boyette, who played bass for Michael Jackson, oh, you know, I mean like huge presences, you know, on stage. Yeah. And I had to kind of hold my own and create my own little space and just figure out what to do like that definitely helped you know and then we're with tina turner on that tour we're playing like wembley stadium like we're literally playing like 70 80,000 seaters so all that to say like that's that was when so probably about that was within like five years of graduating from berkeley and and not even having any concept of like creating my own space on stage yeah, yeah. that i was forced to image, do that yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. Yeah, it was definitely like, uh, yet again, completely out of my comfort zone, but you just have to rise to the occasion. What are you going to do? You know, you have to. I think it all worked out. You know, I think it all worked out. And man, I forgot to, you know, I mean, Lionel Richie, you know, I was just watching the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I've always loved him. I had JR on a, a couple of weeks ago and, uh -huh. you know, talking about his recordings with with Lionel Richie and yeah. and. You know that you know the the older I get, the more I mean I, I've always loved him. I always loved the Commodores, and yeah. And uh, the, the older I get, I mean, like that to me at my old age would be like a dream gig. You know, if Lionel Richie said, "Hey, I heard you heard you play drums. You know, come on the road with me. That would be a blast to play those tunes. I couldn't play them well, but it would be a blast. So many hits. Like, oh my god, people don't realize how many hits he's he's written. Like, yeah. When we were out with Tina Turner for those shows, we only did a, like literally a 60 minute set. So like it was hit after hit after hit. Like I don't, I think the audience was singing along to every song, you know, obviously yeah. like all night long and say, say me and hello yeah. and running with the night, but then also like all the Commodore stuff like brick house and yeah. yeah. So three it was just like lady. three times yeah. lady. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was just like insane, like the amount of hits that, that we that we would jam into like that hour. <laughs> so, and he's such a great guy and he's so fun on stage and, and in person as well. So was, yeah. he seems like such a cool guy. I mean, every time yeah. you see him, he's just like a, yeah, yeah. he had a, made a beautiful speech the other, you know, in the Hall of Fame, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's really great. So all that to say, like, I've been definitely blessed. Like I don't have any like horror stories of any of the artists I've worked with. Like they've all been so unique and so fun to work with. And, um, I've had, you know, I definitely feel blessed that they, they call me back as well. So a lot of the artists I've worked with, like I've worked with multiple times, which, you know, anytime you finish a tour or a gig, you don't, you don't expect to get called back, even if like the artists may like you, but like it could just come down to politics of like, oh, they get a new musical director and the musical director for the next tour is going to bring in their people. So you just don't ever expect it. Um, so I definitely feel like, you know, Bette Midler, same. I've been with Bette since 04 and I've done uh, at least, I think, three tours as well as a two-year Vegas residency with her. Mm -hmm. Um and that, that was a blast. And I, I love playing with Bet. And and um that's Sonny Sonny Emery on drums. The when yeah. I first started, Sonny was out with Bruce Hornsby. So it was Teddy Campbell and I came in as kind of ringers. So wow, man. Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad sub for Sonny, you know, Teddy no. Campbell. Yeah, oh, man. I love Teddy. <laughs> Teddy's a monster. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Sonny's Sonny, of course. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Sonny's out with Clapton. He's been out with Clapton the last few years. I know. I know he's killing it that gig as well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what a what a great career! Amazing. And, Thank you. And uh, and you know, I was just going to say that what you just said is so key for people. You know that are that are watching that want to have some insight in how the business works. Um, as you pointed out, Taku, you could be one of the all time great percussionists like yourself, but if a new MD comes in and his buddy that he's you know, he, and he wants to bring another guy in. That's just how it goes. And it's nothing personal. Yeah. And yeah. And you and sort it, of know that. Yeah. Also the percussion chair is one of those, like that is like last hired, first fired, you know, seen as, as icing on the cake, but not necessarily mandatory for a lot of, you know, pop gigs and rock gigs. So yeah, same thing. Like sometimes the chair just kind of disappears as well with a budget mm -hmm. and whatnot. So yeah. 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 Good, good point. And it's great that you, you know, I mean, you've been doing this a long time now, so you obviously have a great perspective on how all that works. And, and, and I could see you, if you got a call, uh, you know, from someone, the, the MD from a band that you'd work with, and he said, I'm sorry, but this, this, we don't have a budget this time to bring a percussionist. You'd, yeah, you'd find another gig and you, you wouldn't look at it like, you know, yeah. I, I, like it was your fault or something. Right. I mean, Leanne Rhymes, I love working with her. She is so awesome. But I have no illusions that like we're just trying out this this band configuration. She's not going to have this band configuration forever. She's going to want to eventually have like uh, you know, quote unquote regular conventional band with with a drum set player and bring back a keyboardist or something. So that but at that point in time, I'm I seriously doubt there'll be a budget for percussion and she'll most likely want to get like a real drummer <laughs> you know so like i have no illusions that at some yeah. point like my my time will end with leanne as well so it's like i'm having fun and we're just like making it happen and, and making it sound making this little trio of percussion bass and guitar sound as best as it can you know given those not constraints but just like given that configuration and, and keeping the artist happy and she seems to be very happy and we're having a blast so you know you just kind of have to yeah you just have to have a good attitude about it or you know good definitely yeah, that's yeah. exactly good advice yeah. yeah um and so and so what do you have um are you is there stuff into 2023 with leanne is there anything that far out that you've i have heard rumblings yes i know that like they have me on hold for some stuff in January and February for sure. And then there's some stuff down the line. So yeah, I think they're going to start filling in dates and we'll start finding out a little bit more. Um, and then on top of that, I know I have some dates coming up with a project called miles from India, which is through the miles Davis, um, estate through Vince Wilburn. Oh, cool. And, um, yeah. I've worked with miles from India in the past. They put out an album, maybe six or seven years ago. And essentially it was the music of Miles Davis with classical Indian musicians collaborating with Miles Davis alumni. And they had done concerts, jazz concerts at festivals and whatnot. And in the past, Vince Wilburn, who was the head of the Miles Davis estate and was a drummer for Miles, um, is playing drums and traditionally miles from india was always double drums with with vince and indugu chancellor playing drums and so after indugu passed they actually had me come in not to play drums but just to be in indugu's spot so i have a little multi-percussion rig and vince is on drums 
and then we have two or three Indian percussionists oh, as well, man. and yeah. then some some uh, Miles Davis alum on guitar and keys, and uh, yeah, so it's a really interesting project. So we have some stuff coming up, I think, in the spring, um, like at SF Jazz uh, in San Francisco, and I think some other stuff. So that's always a blast because I love playing world music and I love playing jazz fusion, and that's you know both of yeah. those things. So yeah, it's man, it's perfect. Yep. And then um, just some stuff from Ber for Berkeley. I think I have some talks and whatnot on the educational end with them. Uh, yeah. So will you be coming uh, out to do them in person? Will you be coming out here to? I know I have to do one symposium that actually is taking place at Berkeley Valencia in Spain. I I think wow. with my schedule, it I'm going to have to do it remotely, which oh, is a bummer. Say, it's too bad you have to go to Spain. And <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh bummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so I think well, I have to do that remotely, but, but, and I, I, hopefully I'll be back in Boston doing, uh, I used to, um, be there kind of as like an artist in residence where I would come in a week out of every fall and spring semester and work with like various departments. In addition to percussion department, I would work with like the music business department, music therapy department. They would just fill my schedule up for the week. And, uh, so hopefully that'll, that'll kick back up again at some point in time. So I, yeah. Yeah. Well, please let me know, you know. If, oh, if, yeah, definitely. You know, I'm, I'm just 20, 20 short miles away. So Okay. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to be in Boston to hang for quite a while, so it'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I so appreciate you doing this today. and Of course. Um, and, and, and I'm glad you're home for a little while, at least. Yeah. And, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, so, and uh, it, yeah, happy holidays to you and to your entire family. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And to you as well, to you and your beautiful wife. And thank you. Thank and, you. uh, yeah. And, and it's just a pleasure to have you here today. And I want to thank you. And I want to thank everybody for watching and everybody, a big hand for Taku Hirano. <laughs> and, um, Taku, if you'll hang tight for one second, I'll, I'll sure. end the stream and, and we'll say goodbye, but thanks everybody. We'll see you right. soon. And, um, yeah. <laughs>